This is Tim Plester from The Game of Thrones, and it appears as if you're listening to Derek Thomas and Monday Morning Critic Podcast. My next guest is often referred to as the world's most dangerous man. He's the godfather of mixed martial arts. He's in the UFC Hall of Fame. He's a WWF superstar, tag team champion, founder of the Lion's Den, but most impressive is his phenomenal work with troubled youth and young adults. He's a phenomenal human being, phenomenal athlete. Please welcome Ken Shamrock. Ken, how is life today? Oh, it's beautiful, man. I'm above ground and uh, loving life. Man, there is so much to your life. I didn't know where to start, where to stop, so I think I've got a really good interview for you, and, and I hope that is, is a good thing for you. Um, I have to say, man, so researching, <laughs> researching your life, one of the most impressive things that I saw was your TED Talk, man, and it just blew me away, right? So I feel like of all your achievements, and, and there are so many, the fact that you lived past the age of 10 might be your biggest achievement that you've ever had, right? I mean, it's amazing that you're still here with us. There, there's no question. Um, it was definitely touch and go a lot of times. Uh, there were times where I was <clears throat> drug across the cement because my uh, biological mother was running uh, from an attacker. Um, so there was a lot of things I remember when I was younger that, you know, <clears throat> could have turned out a whole lot different. Yeah, man, and and the way that you see kids and your approach in that TED Talk, it, it kind of blew me away because I see a lot of TED Talks, and I always feel like some of them are very starchy. They're very kind of robotic. I feel like yours was one of the very few that came from the heart. Yeah, because I, I think a lot of times when those TED Talks happen, it's a lot of guys that are involved with science or, or a book or, or something that it doesn't have that emotional touch to it because it's a business it's more of it doesn't have to be but most of it's a lot of business and science yeah and, and, and i completely agree with that and, and i know you've been down this road a million times you've been asked this a million times if it's a problem i can we can move past it but for those listening and for those very few that don't know your life story Early on, just talk about your childhood very briefly. I know you've been down this road before, and I, I hate to ask you this, but for those who, ha- who, are, who are not familiar with it, I, I think they kind of need to hear a little bit from you about what you went through growing up. Yeah, when I was young, um, I had a biological mom, uh, didn't know my father. Um, pretty much, uh, she was a go-go dancer. We pretty much raised ourselves. I had two older brothers. We were all a year apart. We're probably about five years old at this time, and we were left home a lot. We were, didn't have a lot of food. So we would uh, steal food out of trash cans that were next door neighbors or, or we would steal broken toys that were thrown away. <clears throat> but we also learned how to fight at a young age because at the time we were five, six, seven, there was constant war, uh, with the racial tension and things that where we lived at. So we were always fighting. Um, and it wasn't the same as what people think it is when you talk about kids that young fighting, there's you know, even adults and, and teenagers, they could care less the age. They still would just kick you in the head and, and move on. So it was it was rough. But we moved to Napa, California when I was about nine years old, eight, nine years old. Um, went down there. It was all predominantly white. I didn't fit in there because of the way I talked, the way I acted. So I was constantly fighting there. Got stabbed. Um, when I was 10 years old, I was there for a little while. They got in the wrong, in the, in the wrong group of people, started fighting a lot, got stabbed, strong arm robbery, ended up in juvenile hall, woke up in the hospital bed with handcuffs on. From that day forward, I became a ward of the court. Um, that means that uh, the, the 
judge and the probation officer became my parents, put me into placement. I went to several placements, ran away from those placements, um, ended up in uh, Shamrock Boys Home. And that's where I really learned, you know, how to direct my anger into something positive. He, he, uh, he put me into sports like football and wrestling to be able because I was really angry. So he helped me direct that anger into something positive. And of course, then I started feeling good about myself because I was relevant. I was taking that anger and I was putting it out on the football field wrestling mat and I was getting praised for it. So all of a sudden now I became popular. I was dating cheerleaders and all of a sudden my life had changed. And then uh, I broke my neck. My senior year, after all of that stuff I went through and I thought things were going well, I was going to get a scholarship in college and it, it, it ended that day when I broke my neck and I was told I'd never play contact sports again. Well, I decided when my dad said you can get either later if how to get up to do something about it, I decided to get up to do something about it, started training, working out, went and played linebacker in college, was an All-American, um, had a chance to go into pro wrestling, did some pro wrestling, ended up in Japan. Uh, Japan, I ended up in Pancras. I started doing some fighting over in Pancras. Um, started doing well over there, became a world champion. UFC came around, jumped in the UFC. A year later, I'm a world champion in Japan and the UFC. Yeah, it, well, that's pretty amazing because I don't think I could have said that in, in an hour. But I have to say, this might be the understatement of the year, but is it safe to say that Bob Shamrock is an amazing human being? He is. You know, he helped, he helped over 300 boys, and wow. I, a lot of it had to do, and a lot of it had to do with it that he wasn't just housing them. He, he would help them direct their anger into stuff that they loved doing, whether it was singing, art, music, whatever it was, he helped them direct that anger into something they love doing. Yeah, and I got to say, I'm going to be a little bit all over the board today. I definitely am going to get into uh, Valor BK, which I am so psyched about. But I, I want to kind of set a stage here. So one of the things, or one of the many things I really like about you, Ken, is that you rep- you you represent courage and sportsmanship in class. And I feel like when I see the MMA or even sometimes the WWF, I see things, whether it's the internet or I see things, whatever. I don't know, man. Like, it's just awfully cringeworthy when you see the amount of kids. Like, you're all about kids, which I absolutely love along with what you've done in your life. But when I see some of these MMA guys who are supposed to be doing the right thing, supposed to be setting the, the stage and the example for these kids, man, some of this stuff is cringeworthy. And I'm not going to get into names. I'm not throwing people under the bus. But what I love about you is, man, you lived what you said. Like you were no, you were. Excuse the expression. You're no bullshit. Yeah, I, I like to. I like to think that I'm not perfect. Obviously, I've had my issues. Absolutely. But, um, I always. I always try to. Uh, try to do the right thing, you know. And so um, that's something that my father had taught me. You know, um, I got a wonderful wife who uh, keeps me grounded because yep. sometimes. With the business that I'm in, you can get a big head. So I got a great wife next to me that keeps me grounded. I got a good family. And um, so I'm really blessed in that sense. But at the same time, I'm not content. I want to be able to do more. I feel like the more popular I can become, the more money that I can make, the more that I can help somebody fulfill their dreams, like Valor BK. I am so excited because I get to be able to, one, go back to what I fell in love with, but two, be able to help other fighters be able to achieve their dreams. Yeah, and, and, and when I was, and I'm going to get to Valor BK in one second, but I have to say, man, the one thing about Valor BK, and, and I'll say this right now, 
when I first said, okay, okay, bare knuckle boxing, I'm like, oh boy, like wh- I'm a little concerned. But when I did my research, I heard some of your interviews. Maybe this is a bad analogy, but maybe you can inform me on this. I, I, it's almost like rugby compared to the NFL, right? In the NFL, they wear pads, they wear, and, and the concussion rate, the after effects are awful. But you look at the Australian rugby leagues, man. It's like those stats are way down. I don't know if that's comparable to a lot of what Valor BK is about, but I got to say it seems somewhat similar, right? It's a very pure form. Well, let me tell you this: they don't wear helmets, right? They got those leather ones. They right. don't have face masks, so they don't. They don't. Hey, they're not going to hit you hard with their head. They still hit you with the head, right? But they don't come in leading with the head, going hard. So yeah, it's similar because with biting. The idea is how many times you get punched in the head. It's not about how hard you get. I mean, I guess in some cases, but the majority of the punches isn't about how hard you get hit. It's about how many times you get hit. Right. And so with bare knuckle, man, the punches are effective. It's a fast-paced fight. There's only three rounds. And so you're minimizing the amount of damage that's going to happen to your brain. may not minimize damage to your skin or to your nose or your jaw, but it will minimize the damage to your brain. Yeah, and I gotta say, Ken, I was watching a heavyweight fight on Fox, and I had the boxer on. He was a really class act, good guy. But I think they set a record for punches thrown as a heavyweight match. It was in in north of twelve hundred. Like, there's no way that that doesn't have a side effect moving forward. Like, that's a lot of punches to absorb over a you know an hour period or an hour and a half, right? And listen, they praise them for that. Whoa, what a tremendous round. He threw over 1,200. They threw over 1,200 punches. You're like, uh, that's a concern, not right. a praise. Yes, <laughs> yes, yes. So, so, and I'm coming back to this because I, I, I'm so psyched about this, about this new, the bare knuckle boxing. We've been talking about it like crazy on the podcast. I want to talk about Vince Torelli. So, you had a tryout, or it was a dark match, I should say, in 89 with Barry Horowitz. Why did the WWF sign you then? Like, you're clearly talented. You clearly have the ability. Why wasn't? Why didn't they say, you know what, let's get this guy going right now? Well, if they would have, then I would have probably been a lifer and uh, would have been, uh, you know, definitely done very well because I did. I did have the skills and I had the talent. Um, but for whatever reason, I... I I don't know. I thought Vince and those guys, they could see talent and all that. I mean, clearly when I worked with Barry Horowitz, they could see that I had talent, even though I was only in it a year. I only had a year of experience. And I'm sure they clearly could see that there was talent there. But for whatever reason, they never picked me up. So I went over to Japan. Yeah, and and boy, did you have a good time in Japan. And boy, were you, did you really kind of harness your great ability? You know, you win a tough man competition at 19. A guy outweighs you by 60 pounds. Your dad kind of suggests you go in that, in that arena. Um, did Dean Malenko have a, did you spend a lot of time with him, uh, Ken, or was it just very brief? Well, it was brief, but it was a lot of time in a, in a, in when he was there. Like we were there, we were in the car together, we drove together. So it was about a week, but we did spend a lot of time in that week. So I, that's how I got into it. You know, he's the one that showed me the tape and I was so just looking at that going, man, I want to do that. I was so intrigued with it. And he looked at me like I was crazy. He goes, no, man, those guys really hit each other. And I go, yeah, dude. He goes, I can set it up. And I said, yeah, set it up. So I went and tried out. Next thing I know, I'm in Japan fighting in front of 17,000 people. 
I mean, in 1994, you're a superstar. What do you think it was, Ken, that, you know, we, we look at, like, legends like um, Suzuki, Funaki. What was it, do you think, that the impression you left upon them where they're like, this guy is for real. This guy coming from the States, he's the real deal. Because those guys aren't easy to please. They're not, you know, they don't take bull. They don't, they're, they're very down to earth. They're grounded guys. What do you think it was, Ken? Did they see how legitimate you were? I think they saw the toughness, but the most of all, they saw the respect and honor that I carried with myself. Um, and a never quit attitude. So like with the Japanese, when you could be as tough as nails and they like that. But the one thing they like more than that is if you're humble. Mm, mm. Yeah. And, and you show respect. And I feel like that's kind of what's lacking in a lot of today's forums. And people forget. And one of the things you do, Ken, is that you were very successful in both forums. You were very successful in the WWE slash WWF and, you know, in MMA. People forget how hard that is, but you were a crucial part of Stone Cold Steve Austin being what he is today. Like, you were a huge part of that. And, I mean, I don't know, man, is that, is that a tough transition for you to make going from, you know, all this training, all this to kind of the WWF uh, world? Was that difficult on you in any way i think because of the guy that i faced first it gave me a chance to get in front of the crowd it gave me a chance to kind of get my feet wet and that was vader because vader was also another guy that did that had fought in mma or had done some shoots so when they put me with him and i was able to go in there and not worry about you know if i hit him too hard he's going to cry or whine so i had a great match with him and i got to really be able to find my 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 barometer with him about what wrestling was about, where I needed to be. Because I remember Brett telling me after I, I went with Vader, he said, okay, so now you see what it is. It's not, it's not a shoot. It's not like a heavy deal. But even now, he said, you have to lighten up even, even more. He said, you went 50, 50% of your, your, um, of your abilities with Vader. He said, but now you have to drop it down to 10%. So I had an understanding because of what I did with Bader and how he could explain it to me and how much I needed to drop it, that I, I was able to really go in there and, and, and have great matches because I knew what I needed to do. Yeah, and, and I don't think people realize how tough the transition is both ways. I mean, you're, like I said, you're one of the very few to pull it off successfully. You're, you were a legend in both arenas. But you look at a guy like CM Punk, a, a wrestling legend, he's had a really tough time in the UFC and, and that's or MMA in general. And that's not a knock on him. That's not any disrespect, but that just shows how difficult of a transition that truly is, Ken. Yeah, and I think for CM Punk, man, um, it wasn't like Brock Lesnar that went in there who had already he's got a tremendous wrestling background. He's big. Um, CM Punk went in there with no experience at all from mm. pro wrestling. So kudos to him, man. I always say people should chase their dreams. If something you really want to do, go do it. Shame on the fans for putting him down for doing it. Absolutely. Completely agree. And, and, and it's, it just shows how difficult he is. And you're right. He put himself out there. There's another guy I wanted to ask you about who reminds me of you for different reasons. But he reminds me of you. He's inspirational. He's talented. He's capable. He's a one-armed fighter named Nick Newell, right? And he he hasn't had a chance in the UFC. I feel like he would be such a draw. Like, I watch your TED Talks. I watch the way you talk about kids and supporting kids, and it's so genuine. Like, this guy is exactly what you're talking about. 
and he still hasn't been given that opportunity. And I don't know if you're familiar with him, but he's a one-arm wrestler, a one-arm, sorry, a UFC uh, fighter. I just feel, man, this is the type of guy people need to see. Yeah, and I think the only reason why that is with uh, the UFC is they're afraid that if he gets hurt, they're in trouble. So as long as there's something they can do to protect the UFC and this guy signs something that he can go in and fight, I think he should have the opportunity to do that. But, uh, again, like I said, I don't know all the ins and outs of, of what the insurance will cover and won't cover. Yeah, there's certainly more to that, and I certainly get that. Um, so your debut in 97, um was the transition tough? So in UFC, you're really going all out. And, you know, I know wrestlers are unbelievable athletes, uh, professional wrestlers, but you got to pull back a little bit, obviously, right? You got you to kind of do your thing. Was that tough on you? Did you? Was that a learning curve for you? It was because, um, yeah, just a lot of times I just felt like I wanted to go faster, like I, I wanted to do more. And I sometimes I would just take guys and throw them. And I remember one time working with Brett, he, he kind of he joked with me. He said, "He said uh, uh, when you did the belly to belly, I had no choice. I was going." And then he took me, took the guy, pulled me aside, and goes, "Hey, I mean, nothing wrong with it. You know, you took it. It looked good." He said, "But for other people, when you work against them, if you take them and 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 they don't, or they're not ready for it," he says, "They're going to land wrong." He said, "So you need to, when you do it, give them the office. Let them know you're going." Right, right, right. And and, and you do your thing in, in the WWF, and you're phenomenal at it. And then you say, you know what? I got some unsolved business. You know, I've got some unfinished business in, in, in the, in, you know, in MMA. Do you feel like at that point, Ken, that it was a different place that you had left? Like, was the UFC, did it evolve a little bit? Did it change a little bit? Was it the same thing you remember when you left? No, it definitely did. I felt like I missed 10 years. Right. It was so fast. Everything advanced so fast. So, yeah, it was definitely different. I got in there, and I always thought in my mind, you know, I, adversity to me is just another thing I got to conquer. So when I when I went in there and I was fighting, and I realized how 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 far and how advanced these fighters had gotten, I basically just put my nose into the grindstone and started working because I knew I could beat it. Mm. And you come back, you fight Tito Ortiz basically on one leg. Um, you know, so that's a tough thing to do. But you know what? You've never been a guy that's ever made excuses. You've never been a guy that's ever, you know, said, you know, I can't do it. So, you know, kudos to you for that, man. I mean, you came back and you, I don't know, I, I just thought that alone is admirable. I appreciate that. And, um, yeah, Tito was in his prime. And, and uh, I tell you, uh, he was a tremendous uh, athlete, a tremendous fighter. I have the utmost respect for him. So, um, we had some great matches. We were able to do what we needed to do to draw the numbers to keep the UFC in business. Yeah, and and I want to end the interview by talking Valor BK, man, because I'm really I'm really excited about this. But I wanted to ask you, when it comes to either wrestling or or UFC, who are the people that stand out to you where you're like, Ken, you know what? You say to yourself, these people are the ones I'm impressed with, whether the male or female. Who really strikes a chord with you when you watch them, whether it's wrestling or whether it's UFC or, or any MMA, who strikes a chord with you? Well, in the UFC, it's hard for me to even think about that because I've seen so many of them. There's so many great fighters. It really is. From, from, I mean, it is tough in there now. There's a lot of good guys. So for me, nobody really stands out. They're all great. In the WWF, I would probably say what was most impressive to me was Ronda Rousey going from MMA into pro wrestling and how well she transitioned into that, she did a great job. I mean, I think that doesn't get mentioned enough about what she was able to do. 
Yes. Yeah, I completely agree. And, and, and you know, it, it's such a – moving over to this Valor, you know, BK, I got to say, man, like one of the things that I really want to talk about here is the fact that you make the fans, they have a part in this. Like so it's almost – I don't want to say it's interactive. That's a little bit over the top. But fans have a lot to do with this, right? The bare-knuckle fighting, it's its kind of exciting. You're going into uncharted waters, and I love the direction, Ken, that this is going in. Yeah, we want to – I mean, I think most people know me, and, and I've always engaged with my fans. I thought they were the most important part of me being successful because – Without them, I wouldn't be where I'm at. I wouldn't have the things that I have. So I always want to try to make sure that they're appreciated. But our team really came up with this. And um, we did an interview with Forbes, and um, we put out a poll for the fans to be able to pick the first round of the fighters that would fight each other. And um, so, and it was a tremendous turnout. So we were really excited. Uh, the fans got to get involved, and I hope that we'll be able to do this again for the other fights. So the fans feel like, hey, this is our this is our event. We get to be involved in it. We get to be a part of it. So that's what we really want. We want them to feel like this is theirs and they're a part of it. Yeah. So you've got some great fighters. I mean, you've got some phenomenal fighters involved in it. How? Are, what's the plan to get others to kind of come in and see that you guys are like straight up legitimate? This is like fantastic. People are into this. It's just it's it, the popularity already is 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 kind of through the roof already. So what's the plan to kind of get more fighters? Is there one? How does that work? Because you're taking on a new role here. You're you're president. You're co-founder. That's I mean, I'm not gonna say it's new to you because you you know you know about this. This is what you've grew, grown up with. But what's the, what are the challenges? How do you get more fighters? Can what what can you elaborate in in that regard? Well, first of all, I'm the president of Valor BK, and all that means is that I am the, the, one, the, the most less qualified to run a show <laughs> because, because, all, because all the smart people are the ones behind me giving me all the advice and everything to say. So yeah. it's, like our, it's like our president of the United States. He's definitely not the smartest guy, but he's, he gets, he's, he's a guy that can talk well. So that's me. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, so, um, yeah. So, so what's the plan to get like, okay, so I'm sure there's boxers looking to go into, I'm sure there's, you've got people, from all avenues, right? Like if you're an if you're a UFC fighter, or a WWF, what I mean, this has open invitation written all over it. I mean, not as far as the match itself, but I got this has got to be a magnet to a lot of those guys. Or, or is there a female division in this too? Can I ask that? Yeah, there will be. I'm not on the first show, but yes, we plan on having uh, female fighters, but we just didn't get enough of them in the beginning. So um, we we started with the, the tournament and. Um, we got uh, Mark Godbeer uh, versus Jack May and Mighty Mo versus uh, Romero Sokoju. And so for me, <clears throat> I look at the tournament, and it's a bare-knuckle tournament. And Mark Godbeer is the only one that really has any bare-knuckle experience. Now, bare-knuckle is a beast of its own, right? I mean, it is different. So I'm interested to see whether or not that gives Mark Godbeer an advantage or whether or not these guys can actually transition from what they used to do into bare-knuckle because it is so much different. And you look at um, um, what's his Malinaji who went into it, mm. and he had no, when he went into it, he didn't realize that, you know, this is going to be a different beast because standing there and trying to fight somebody like you normally would when you were a boxer means you have bigger gloves on, so you're able to defend a whole lot better. As far as bare knuckle, 
you don't have that defense. So you get hit a lot. Even if you try to block it, you're still getting hit. So it's really interesting to see whether or not these guys will be able to take that transition into bare knuckle. Ishii Smith, who is an uh, SMF fan, which is our co-main event, that's a boxer against an MMA. I mean, I'm looking forward to that because they both, neither one of these guys have had experience in bare knuckle. So it'll be really interesting to see whether or not these guys can really figure out the bare knuckle fight. Yeah, and, I, you know, hearing you talk just now, I'm just totally thinking in my own mind, yeah, you're right. A lot of these people have to either make adjustments or look. I mean, this is a different sport, right? Because you're not throwing 1,200 punches in a bare-knuckle boxing match. That's that's for damn sure. And, and yeah, you're right. You know, the, the whole philosophy and approach has got to change, especially wherever you're coming from, whatever whatever you've learned from, right? Ken, that's, 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 that's the big challenge in it. Yeah, you got to think about this. Boxers, most boxers, one, they have those bigger gloves, so you're used to covering up and blocking, but they can't do that in bare knuckle. Number two, it's not like these guys don't take jabs and counter, right? So they're used to being able to take a jab. In bare knuckle, man, you do not want to take a jab. Ken, one of the things I wanted to ask you about was a book you have coming out with Jonathan Snowden. Is there anything you can elaborate or add to that? Yeah, no, we are. We we got a book, and he's been working on it for a while now. So um, it talks about what I just talked about, my childhood, going some of the, through the struggles I went through, all the way up into high school, college, and then, of course, me struggling uh trying to get into the fight world and then all of a sudden i get the fight world and i start making money and you know um, i get involved with the wrong thing so it talks a lot about my my ups and my downs and how i was able to prevail in the end ken give me the date and the details of a huge event in north dakota that valor bk has coming up september 21st four bears casino north dakota if you can go man we'd love to have you live if not you can get it on DirecTV, um, Dish Network, or all major um, cable companies. Or listen, if you're going to do it through streaming or digital, it's Fight TV, uh, September 21st. Ken, appreciate the time. Good luck with the event at Four Bears Casino in North Dakota. I think you got something really special here with Valor BK. Hey, I appreciate it, brother. You have a good night. Take care, my friend. 